Welcome to the State of the Garden. This is the official podcast of the New Jersey Cannabis Industry Association. I'm your host, Tom Marshall. All right, welcome to State of the Garden, the podcast of the New Jersey Cannabis Industry Association. And uh, just a quick bit of housekeeping, I want to remind you that State of the Garden is a proud member of the Osiris family of podcasts. You can check out more music and culture podcasts at osirispod.com. All right, today I'm in Trenton, our capital, with our leader of the NJCIA, the president, Hugh O'Byrne. Hey, Hugh, how are you? Hey, Tom. And uh, today we have, uh, this is a member spotlight. We're uh, looking today at Nuka Foods and its president and founder, Peter Barsoom, is here with us. How are you, Peter? Great, Tom. Happy yeah. to be uh, back in Trenton. Absolutely. Yeah, this, you know, I, I get here rarely uh, and uh, only really because of my new affiliation with NJCIA. And it reminds me, like, the buildings are old and beautiful and it seems like it's sort of revitalizing a little bit, which is nice. Would you agree? <laughs> yeah, a little. <laughs> I think there's a great intention for revitalization, so we'll, you know, okay. fing- fingers crossed. Fingers are crossed. All right, well, fingers are crossed also for legalization. And with legalization comes amazing membership to NJCAA, and I include Nuka Foods in that club. Uh, can you tell a little bit of, of your background and a little bit about your, your company? Yeah, um, thanks, Tom. So, I'm originally a New Jersey boy. I grew up here in East Brunswick. Uh, did my graduate degrees uh, at at Princeton. Oh, what high school did you go to, by the way? Oh, I went to Princeton Day School. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I ask is we're both fellow PDS alum. Fancy. Yeah. Good to see you again, fellow alum. Yeah, we're, we're making waves. PDS yeah. is always at the forefront. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I spent after, after I spent 20 years in finance and a career on Wall Street, and left about four years ago and decided to start a cannabis company, on the belief that as legalization expands, more and more consumers are going to want to come into the market for whom smoking is not necessarily the preferred method of consumption. You know, uh, smoking has it's not discreet. People don't necessarily like smoke. There's the lungs are not necessarily the most effective drug delivery device, um, so on and so forth. And that <clears throat> when I went out to Colorado and California and other markets to survey the market, this is back in early 2015, what I found is that if the quality of the cannabis that we smoke has improved significantly in the last, you know, whatever time period uh, uh, you want. I'm, I'm 47, you know, definitely since college, even the last five, 10 years. How do you measure quality? By the strength? Uh, no, I measure quality in terms of is it organically cultivated? Oh, okay. Is it uh, well tested? The variety of different strains that are available to us uh, right now um, <clears throat> is you know we, we're we're smoking far better cannabis than uh, than we than we did. Potency is not necessarily and, and should not be used as a measure of quality. Uh, let me say that kind of first and foremost uh, up front. All of it is going to get you high, whether it's fifteen percent or thirty percent. So it's like 
privileging Everclear over beer, right? Got, gotcha. Just because more does not equal better. Um, okay, gotcha. Last time I drank Everclear, I don't remember <laughs> it. Uh, it was a long time ago. Um, but when you looked at the edibles market, there was a lot to be desired. Um, and really found that most edibles suffer from one of three, if not three major problems. They taste bad, strong, hashy flavor, poor quality ingredients. Number two, you have no idea how it's going to make you feel. At best, they're labeled indica sativa hybrid. Um, and most people use cannabis because they want to feel a particular way. It may help me with energy or relaxation or sleep or anxiety. We use cannabis um, because of its particular effects, not just about uh, getting high. And then third is that it takes too long when you uh, consume an edible to when you actually start to feel its effects. Most of us don't have six hours to have a date with a piece of an edible. And so <laughs> those three factors, bad quality, taste, uh, unclear as to how it'll affect you, and the long delay between ingestion time and actually feeling the effects really creates a market that serves people who need to or want to get really high. And for the rest of us adults, there isn't something out there in the marketplace. And so I, I set up uh, the company and the brand 1906 around consumers like the three of us uh, or other people like us, people who are adults, who are functioning adults, for whom they live a, you know, a, a life that includes all the things about what living life means. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm tired. Sometimes at night I'm a little stressed or I have, a, I have some anxiety. Sometimes I want to let go of a little bit of esteem and relax. Sometimes I have social anxiety when I'm going out. All these things which we may use pharmaceuticals for or we may use other natural substances or alcohol to help us perform better in one way, shape or form, that there was a role for cannabis to play in in normal adult uh, lives. And in that, addition to those other things or in replacing them or? Uh, you know, for each, for each uh, uh, their own. You know, for me, I use pharmaceuticals sometimes and I use cannabis sometimes and I still drink alcohol sometimes and, you know, I use other supplements. So we're believers in that cannabis is not the end all and be all of everything, but it should be available to people in a safe way, in an informed way, so they can make decisions about how it is that they uh, want to use or not use cannabis and how it fits in with their daily life. Well, let's delve into that informed customer that you're talking about, someone who wants to know what is in store for them when they ingest your product. Uh, but first, let's go back a little bit and what are your products? Yeah, so we start off with um, our company, 1906, is based around experiences. It starts with the belief that people use different products because they want to feel a particular way. And so we've got five core experiences. Uh, go, which is for energy. Pause, which is for relaxation. Midnight, which is for sleep, which is our bestseller. High love, which is for, which is our aphrodisiac for sex and arousal. And then bliss, which is for overall euphoria. And then we'll soon be launching our sixth experience called present for cognitive focus. I think kind of Adderall or Ritalin substitute. Wow. And each of those, what makes them unique is that we combine cannabis with other plant medicines. And so that's what allows it to have that specific effect. If you were to look at specifically, not the other medicines that you add to it, but if you were to look specifically at what you're doing with the various indica, sativa, and the ratio of CBD, perhaps, 
all of those alone would make completely different experiences, right? Yeah. And so then you carefully research that and the effect that that has on people, and then you add other ingredients as well? Yeah. Oh, okay. And, and this is all added to three or four chocolate types that you have. Right now, we, we uh, have chocolates in the market, but we're going to be launching pills and mints and beverages all along the same lines. Single strain, organic cannabis, other plant botanicals, and then it becomes a choice of how is it you want to consume? Okay, some people have trouble sleeping. Maybe they want to take a piece of chocolate. Maybe they want to take a pill. Maybe they want to have a mint that helps them sleep. But the idea behind 1906 is to give consumers that that choice. <clears throat> but they always know whether I take it as a chocolate, as a pill, as a mint, as a beverage, it's the same effect. It will get me to sleep in a, a non-groggy, quick way uh, and wake up in the morning feeling like I had a really good night's sleep. You said sleep is your most sought-after experience yeah uh, and we should tell people that you currently do have operations in Denver or Colorado Colorado correct yep. and, and you're setting your sights on New Jersey thank goodness mm-hmm. yep I'm Tom from the New Jersey Cannabis Industry Association's point of view we're extremely attracted to what Nuka's story can mean for New Jersey what we see is uh, and a big thing that we make a big point of is how innovative this market could be uh, in new products. Um, edibles is not something that has been present in New Jersey, but will um, with uh, you know will shortly become part of the experience of the cannabis industry and markets in New Jersey. Um, but what's really intriguing about what Nuka does, and what I think we there's a real lesson here for New Jersey operators and also for for people in the market, is that um, Peter's company has taken something about cannabis and actually elevated it into a different context. Uh, we think about cannabis often in terms of potency, which we addressed earlier, or, or more sophisticated in terms of strains, but it's almost as if it's just its own world. What I think is so intriguing about, and particularly with edibles manufacturers like Nuka, is that you can say, well, wait, here we're actually showing um, complete quality attention to every aspect of this of this, uh, of this this experience, right? So you have the tremendous uh, basics and superb chocolate. Then you have the, the focus on strains and quality. Um, but really interestingly is that cannabis is then contextualized. That's why you can address these experiences. And Peter, I find that really interesting is that you're utilizing cannabis that's picked for strains that underwrite these experiences, but then they're married with other biocuticals that are things that we may ingest in other ways. And then we have like a contextualized appreciation of cannabis, which is not something that we have experience with, right? This is cannabis as part of a garden of um, health benefits and wellness experiences. And that is, uh, I would love everyone to pay careful attention, that's what innovation means and can be. Yeah, I, I, I think of it kind of at the, you know, we're at the intersection of the medical market, of the rec markets, of, you know, uh, I wouldn't call them pharmaceutical markets, but, you know, wellness markets as well by <clears throat> drawing on Cannabis is great plant medicine. There are other plant medicines as well. You know, most of our drugs came from plants at one way, shape, or form that have 
been refined, synthesized, and in some cases, you know, adulterated uh, by companies in order to give us pharmaceuticals. Um, and so, in a sense, what we're doing is a return back to nature, but married with science. You know, a return back to nature in terms of some of the things that uh, nature provides us as sleep aids, as aphrodisiacs, as energetic stimulants, so on and so forth, but married with the science of testing, married with the science of quality control, married with the science of understanding how these substances perform on our on our minds and on our body. I love the kind of feeling and the thought that with science and, you know, extreme testing uh, that you can almost turn and, and especially with your sixth experience, which you call it called presence. Is that present what present? Yeah. Um, it actually could turn it into a performance enhancing drug because yeah. in a way marijuana has always never been thought of in that context. It's always sort of been sort of a dulling or, or, you know, a cloak over you kind of experience. Whereas you're sort of, you know, through science and, and research and testing, you're turning it, you're bringing it out of that, that mode. Yeah. I, I think we have a narrative about cannabis that it's, you know, for stoners, you're on the couch, so on and so forth. That, um, that isn't uh, frankly true. Um, uh, for some people, that's the way they may enjoy cannabis, just like for some people, the way they enjoy alcohol, you know, is uh, for, you know, makes them party or makes them kind of go to bed at night. You know, people, metabolism, their bodies are different and they come in with different intentions. But our intention fully is to utilize cannabis as a functional supplement, right? So if you suffer from anxiety, and you have to, uh, uh, and you're an actor, and you have to perform every day uh, in the theater, for instance. Overcoming that anxiety is critical to your performance. And for some people, cannabis is one of the best anti-anxiety um, treatments that they have available to them. And so that is one example of a performance-enhancing uh, way in which cannabis is used. If you can't sleep, your performance is compromised, full stop. Right? The more and more what we know is, number one, people aren't getting enough sleep. And number two, the consequences of, of not getting enough sleep are pretty uh, negative, um, both in the short term and, and the long term. It's, an, it's of epidemic proportions, the uh, insomnia and people's uh, inability to get a, a good night's sleep there. Um, that's our, that's our number one selling product, for instance. More people come into a dispensary every day not asking, give me something to get high. It's give me something to help me get a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, um, when I think of performance enhancing in the way that you said, the anti-anxiety, if I'm, say, performing and I'm on stage and I want to rid myself of anxiety, I also don't want, I still want to remain clear in my head. Yeah. I don't want to be stoned, so to speak. Right, and that's where low dose is so important. Too much of the industry has focused on heavy users, male, 25 year old with high tolerance for whom um, cannabis may not be about enhancing their performance. Uh, um, and so that's why we're focused on kind of the adult segment of the market. 
and why we believe low dose is the way. You can always take one more, you can never take one less. But would it also in, uh, involve the ratio of, say, CBD? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of things that, that make for what we call a cleaner high, particularly in edibles format. One is CBD, um, because CBD tends to uh, give you some of the medicinal benefits of it, the anti-anxiety, anti-inflammatory. It also reduces some of the negative side effects that some people encounter with THC, like the munchies, for instance, or paranoia. Um, and so we think that <clears throat> CBD and THC, when paired together, you know, provides for a much better quality high. That's the way nature intended the plant, right? If we had land races out there, and we could find them, we would find that those plants would be expressing CBD and THC in, in a variety of different ratios, but you'd see them both expressed in those plants in nature. We've taken, with our wonderful you know, technological advances in agriculture, uh, we've been able to make plants express other things, right? Which is plants that are expressing 20, 30 plus percent THC. That's unheard of in the natural world, but we now have ways of scientifically engineering it to, to do so. And all we're doing is sort of taking it back a step, which is, okay, that's great that we can do that, but we've lost sight of the balance of how it should be consumed. And 30% THC, I mean, it's too strong for me. Like I can't smoke a joint with 30% uh, of a 30% THC strain. Um, and so we've kind of taken a step back, which is, okay, um, let's focus on who the consumer is, and for us it's adults, and let's focus on what it is that they want to feel. And number one is control. They still want to be in control, right? And so when, when you do that, then, then that leads you to, well, the way to do that is more balanced THC, CBD, low dose, so on and so forth. I think it's great. It seems like the future is, uh, this is sort of what we've all been waiting for. Like uh, in the past, it's all been... You know, I, I sometimes find a nice balance where I can have the right amount of medicine in my head and still have a good time. But it seems like I always, uh, you know, for most of the time, I go over that limit and then stray into that paranoia area or yeah. whatever. Now, also, you mentioned earlier, um, and this is something that I'd like to we talk We have about. one milligram beans for you, Tom. One <laughs> <laughs> That's probably your perfect dose. I can take one yeah. milligram at a time. Yeah, exactly. Take one at a we, we call that We call that our mommy dose. <laughs> it's also a daddy dose as well, so yeah. Okay, good. All right. Well, you know, bring it on. <laughs> um, the... Uh, you referred earlier to a way that it's delivered to you um, by ingesting, uh, by swallowing. So normally in the caveman days, we'd you know melt pot into butter and make brownies out of it, and that would get you either really way, way, way too stoned, and it would come on two hours later, and you know you'd always think I don't have enough, and then you take more, etc. I'm just explaining, of course, my experiences, but <laughs> but um, uh, it seems like you've done some work to address that issue. Yeah, you hit it right on the head that most people have either had a bad experience with edibles or know somebody who's had a bad experience with edibles, right? You don't have to go uh, many degrees of separation to do that. And those are bad those can be really bad experiences like you it's just a bad trip it lasts way too long um and it will turn most most normal mortals 
off on cannabis. Uh, and that's why we take so much effort and care into thinking about the whole experience and engineering to the extent possible the entire experience. When it starts, when it peaks, how you feel it, what the effects are, how you feel the next day. We've tried to think through that, recognizing that most people have had a bad experience, right? Number two is that we have to give people the trust back in terms of coming back into cannabis. And um, if you, you know, there's the old saying like, if you if you turn off a customer here, you've potentially turned them off for life. So we as an industry have an obligation. And I'm glad to see that as more and more states are coming online, they're having limits on, you know, uh, particularly edibles, uh, uh, potency, for instance. Um, let's start slow. and Baby steps. Sure. Start yeah. with the mommy beans. Yeah, exactly. Start with the mommy beans. And, and then, you know, like alcohol, you, you don't want to start off with doing shots of 151 or Everclear. That wouldn't be, and, and how many of us got turned off to tequila because we drank too much in college, for instance. And now you have a new wave of tequila companies coming out and say, oh, well, you know, there's a different way to enjoy tequila. You can sip it. You don't have yes. to do the shots. Let's win it, them back. Yeah, it doesn't have to taste. And so similarly, some of the similar um, marketing challenges that premium tequila, in a sense, has is very similar to what we have in edibles. So, um, Peter, I'm really interested, obviously, in the approach that you have to creating, I don't know, I termed it a garden approach in, to your experiences from different aspects of cannabis and other biocidicals. But with, um, we see the THC, and we've been talking about THC and CBD, which are in your products. Are you exploring other um, cannabinoids, right, that could be beneficial? Uh, what do you think the research is going along those lines? Yeah. I think we know very, we barely know a little bit about THC and CBD. Mm-hmm. You start looking at these other, um, uh, uh, other cannabinoids and we know far, far less. So I think of ourselves as a consumer of basic science, like Nuka in 1906. We're consumers of that science. So we need the science to go you know, much farther before uh, I'd feel comfortable using some of those other cannabinoids in a major way. They're in the plant. like So we take whole plant, we use whole plant extract, we use single strains. And so those cannabinoids are in the plant, but not in any meaningful way. And before we start introducing it in any meaningful way, I'd like to see a lot more uh, science around it first. The same way when we use other uh, bioceuticals, as you mentioned, whether it be you know caffeine or L-theanine or bacopa or other substances, those are all regarded by the FDA as generally regarded as safe. So there's toxicity studies, there's other studies there that say if I add caffeine to this in this amount of dose, um, I can I know what the effects would be, and I and I don't think we know what the effects are of taking you know a hundred milligrams of THCV on its own, or you know. A uh, hundred milligrams of CBG, for instance. Um, so, as much as there's kind of excitement about it, and people, I think we're we're long way ahead before we see those other cannabinoids playing a significant role in treatments and and other things like that. But like I said, as soon as it's there, we are definitely interested, and we would definitely look at it. And you know, if 
the science uh, uh, was was merited, we would incorporate that into our products. I think it's extremely important uh, to allow our audience to kind of help paint a picture of your products to tell them just how amazingly nice they look and the amount of design um, work that went into your packaging and the products themselves. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there are very attractive boxes I've seen, um, but it also seems like it's an experience in itself when you open them up and see the shapes of the chocolates, etc. cetera. Uh, so that's obviously a big part of your focus as well. Yeah, I mean, we think about the experience, you know, this is about pleasure. It still is about getting high, right? There's nothing wrong with getting high, and we also want to destigmatize that. There's a difference between, you know, getting a little high and getting blasted and seeing purple dragons, right? <laughs> um, and take enough and you'll see purple dragons. But we should also not be afraid to say, yeah, uh, getting a little bit high. It's no different than having a little bit of a buzz, right? Uh, and destigmatize uh, the word even high. And so as part of that, we recognize that there's a whole culture around cannabis, around cannabis consumption, around cannabis marketing that for some people would put them off, right? Um, and while you know, we fully embrace people's desire to express themselves in, in any way that they you know, see fit, you don't have to buy into the tie-dyes and the marijuana leaf and you know, the entire cannabis culture to get a good night's sleep. Right. Um, it doesn't have to come as a package. And so we think that, that what, the way it should come as a package is something that is artfully designed, speaks to you, is subtle, um, and is a pleasure. Just like the pleasure in opening up a nice box of chocolates, we try to replicate that. That anticipation, that joy that you have in uh, uh, just like, you know, for me, it's mezcal. You know, I have beautiful bottles of mezcal. The ritual of opening up that bottle of mezcal and picking out my fine glass and, you know, having a little pour, it's the same kind of ritual and joy that we tried to engineer. And we continue to try and engineer. I'm not saying that we, we crack the code, but we continue to try and engineer into that cannabis experience, which is why, for instance, we don't make a bar. Because part of the culture of cannabis, part of the culture of consumption is sharing. Sorry, but I don't want other people's fingers all over my bar, right? And so our chocolates are individual gem-sized pieces. And so it allows for people to share. Um, Different pieces. You keep your own piece. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's six in a box, so you and five other friends. Nice. Got it. So... Um, Peter, I wanted to just change gears slightly, and this is getting a little bit into the weeds of industry, but for those patients out there, um, this will certainly resonate, at least in their experience. So in New Jersey right now, currently, each one of our current facilities has to do, they have to cultivate, they can do some minor extraction, they have to do storefronts. They're what we call vertically integrated. And I was wondering, um, Peter, um, one, uh, do you own your cultivation, and um, and what what are your thoughts generally about that structure? Because that perspective is actually very interesting, coming from an angle of the market that isn't already present here in New Jersey. And I, it would be really interesting to think about how you think about the way the type of company you have interacts best or how you do it yeah imagine if every restaurant you had to go to 
the chef had to be a farmer and the chef had to process his own and make his own tomato sauce and salt and every other ingredient that went into that dish that you had. And he, by the way, not only had to be a farmer, but he also had to be a fisherman as well, right? Nobody could do that right. I, I probably wouldn't eat at that restaurant, or if I did, it would be a very unique, special kind of restaurant because this man is, or woman is a savant. Mm -hmm. So there's no other industry that I could think of that has this vertical integration requirement. So we have a strong point of view, as you can probably tell, that we are very anti um, uh, requirements for vertical integration for, for, for two reasons. Number one, there are three totally separate businesses and most people can barely do one right. I don't know anybody who could do all three right. Um, we couldn't. Um, and number two, it inhibits innovation, it inhibits competition. It is a monopolist dream and that is anti the American system of capitalism, frankly. And so what we want to see are freer markets that there are lower barriers to entry so people can come into the market, right? I may be really, really, really good as a farmer. And so I can cultivate the best cannabis. Why are you imposing on this farmer the requirement that he also has to know how to open up a retail shop or that he has to know how to do extraction? Um, and so all that really does is keep other people out of the market. It is particularly onerous on minorities that already have difficulty coming into the market, that already have difficulty you know, raising the required capital, so on and so forth. And so from a innovation perspective, it's bad for consumers because they don't get the best products. They don't get the... And from a social justice uh, perspective, it's, it's equally bad because it concentrates wealth in a small group of players who don't necessarily do it well. And so all of that I see as an anathema to our way of you know, American free market uh, economics and our way of, of, of progress for the end benefit of patients and consumers. A great answer, but uh, Hugh, can you tell us the current state, like what, what's proposed, what, what does it look like it will be in the future? I think luckily all of the various uh, proposals out there have indicated a movement away from complete vertical integration. I think what we've advocated for, and I think this is the prevailing opinion thus far, is that we look, uh, we look to see our market understood broadly speaking in three verticals um, truth be told there are that's that's already a bit of forcing a certain amount of consolidation of activities that may present problems but you have to begin somewhere and we're in a state that's still learning how to do this so what we understand is that we should create uh, we should look to cultivate a market in New Jersey an industry in New Jersey that tends to function like all of its analogs in other areas so the verticals that we've favored, uh, broadly speaking, are a cultivation, a manufacturing processing, and a retail dispensing. And the idea there is that licensing would be um, conducted with respect to each of those verticals, right? So as a result, people with the passion and the capabilities uh, to do a particular, whether it's a operated retail shop or farm, will be able to pursue those. Um, They'd only apply for the one that, that they... They are, would apply for the one that they, yeah. that they feel best about. But however, we also don't want to overcorrect and mandate 
segregation if people can make a showing and this is the key right we're going to be a scored competitive system in new jersey of license awarding if an entity or or group can show that they warrant a license um, competitively in any of the verticals, then so be it. We're okay with what we would call permissible integration, just like we are in other fields. We don't really mandate that strict separation. So one of the things that's happening in New Jersey is moving, one, one of the things we'd love to see um, very much, uh, very strongly in favor of moving away from mandatory ver uh, vertical integration, which is everything under one roof in one place, to um, permissible vertical integration, which means that there can be a diversity of participants, a robust wholesale market. And as I, and as I imagine, Peter, I'd love to have you talk to about it. Your desires to have such superb product, and yet you don't own your own cultivation. Yeah. You don't own your own extraction. You must be it must be very interesting to see you as a as a as a wholesale consumer and the pressure that puts right on on upward pressure on quality yeah right is that is that am i right there yeah no you're absolutely right and you know we want to focus on what we do best right which means that we need other people to focus on what they do best and if you think about it the uh, marijuana markets uh, while we're entering the era of you know post prohibition are um some of the policies, if you look at the alcohol uh, uh, markets, right, where we're, we're long away from prohibition, actually explicitly prohibit vertical integration. That's right? true. If, didn't Mario Batali uh, get fined and lost his liquor license recently because he didn't um, disclose the fact that he had an interest in both a winery as well as the uh, wine shop? Uh, for instance, hmm. um, uh, I think this happened relatively. It's a recently. big issue in New York, yeah. right? They're very sensitive to this. Yeah. So a lot of states, you know, have taken the view in the alcohol markets that vertical integration is to be prevented um, by 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 rule or by, or by statute thereafter. And so it is um, to me, it doesn't make sense why why we started cannabis from a place of vertical integration. Um, and uh, you know, I think that as New Jersey thinks about even its application process, you should either get negative points for being vertically integrated or at least get positive points for not being vertically integrated to give smaller players an opportunity to uh, perform and frankly to, to encourage healthy competition in each of those different uh, markets. Um, and, and that is a concern for us about vertical because if I'm a vertically integrated supplier, then I could choose, hey, I'm not I'm I'm gonna not gonna sell my cannabis in the wholesale market or I'm gonna sell it in the wholesale market for orders of magnitude more because I wanna use it and promote my branded products, right? That's anti-competitive um, and um, we should be mindful of regulatory structures that create these types of unintended consequences. So for us, we have to contract with you know, high quality farmers and be like, we want you to grow these particular strains. It has to be pesticide free. It has to be within this, this range. It has to be this kind of quality. And if you do it, you know, we'll, 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 we'll pay a, a premium uh, uh, for it. Um, but when you have shortages of supply, as is expected to happen in New Jersey, that is something that concerns me, is how are we going to be able to source the highest quality cannabis 
in order to create products that we know our consumers want. And the jury is still out about how that will work in New Jersey, in you know, Colorado, where there is no requirement for ver vertical integration. And, and we see uh, a lot of folks who were initially vertically integrated move away from that model because they can't execute against it that well. We have many super fantastic organic farmers of cannabis that we can that we can buy uh, the best quality sun-grown pesticide-free organic single-strain cannabis that brings up a question i'm sorry to interrupt you yeah um and maybe uh you know we've kept you for a while maybe we'll finish on this one but um once you've um established in colorado your relationship with these um producers and growers and you've found the exact high quality ones that that work to your standards and you've now created your products um, because you can't now take that Colorado grower and or the product and make it in New Jersey you have to kind of start all over again implying almost that your products will be different in New Jersey than they will be in Colorado um, you raise a very fair point I think each state has to grapple with well, where what is the source genetic material that they start with? Oh, can right? you bring the genetic material? So that, that's what you know, we'll see as the regulations adapt. If we can bring clones or seeds, for instance, right. you know, from Colorado here, then that would be ideal. I think there still needs to be some testing because the Colorado environment is dry. It's, you know, it's different. So what may perform well uh, in Colorado may not perform well in New Jersey and so we anticipate needing you know uh, many months of having to do testing to ensure okay in Colorado we use Blue Dream in High Love right because of its known aphrodisiac qualities it's a great uh, strain that generally puts people in a great mood we will have to do some testing as to even in New Jersey they may call it Blue Dream but it may have a totally different right. profile yeah from the soil, from the, just like, you know, if I take a Chardonnay um, and, and supplant it from France and bring it to uh, uh, Napa Valley, uh, to Napa Valley, it's going to, it's going to taste different. It's it may different. feel different, so on and so forth. So could still be wonderful, but different. Yeah, and yeah. could be exactly the same genetic right. material. It could even be the same cutting. Uh, of vines that right. you know brought over from the old world you know because how did wine right. you know, come to napa right and and to these other places generally can somebody brought over those vines so um yes and that is something we need to be mindful of and control because we're our desire is that the 1906 experience whether you consume it in new jersey or new york or toronto or uh, denver or los angeles feels the same way right Right. Okay. Well, I'm confident in your ability to navigate through those uh, those variables, uh, and we'll see what happens uh, legislatively in New Jersey as well. And it's been really a pleasure talking to you, Peter. Thank you, thank you Tom. Uh, Hugh. Anything else? Or? No, I'm, I'm just delighted, uh, Peter. Thank you for being part of the NGCIA. We have many things to learn about in New Jersey from your experience, and um, your presence in Jersey would certainly be a great boon to our state, to our patients, to our industry. So, thank you very much. Well, we're looking forward to being a part of the conversation and um, and serving patients and, and consumers. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye bye. Osiris. This podcast is in the loop. The Legion of Osiris podcasts. 
Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.